Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by Tim McAuliffe and Dwayne Ford. We're discussing the 58th Vanier Cup, the turnover machine that was the Ketaban defense in 2023, French-Canadian QB Jonathan Senecal, and whether the Grey Cup and Vanier Cup should be paired together. But first, fellas, can you guys believe, according to Dwayne at least, it's been 16 years since you called University Rush games together for the score? I like how you went to Dwayne for that because I would have no idea how long ago. <laughs> 16 years. Dwayne hasn't aged a bit. That's the problem here. I don't know if he trimmed up the grays or something I, here. I, I, I wish. I wish. Listen, neither one of us had any hair then. I think we maybe have a few more grays now, but, uh, you know, matching glasses. I think that's about all this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's been a long time. I still remember those days very fondly. I keep now seeing like, People posting like Justin um, highlights of those days, and man, does that bring back great memories for me. I even went, I went digging into the crawl space to try and find my old cards to see if I could get some historical perspective on uh, on what we've seen over the last little while. And the best I came up with was this cue card. There you go. That that was our was last, that our game, last game. Vanier Cup 2007. That was wow. that was Dwayne's call, final call. One of the most gruesome injuries I've ever seen in my life, and a wonderful broadcast, if I do say so myself. Uh, captained by Glenn McDonald, the producer, and uh, that was uh, maybe one of the topics we'll bring up on this edition, Justin, if I'm not mistaken, sir. Because that was with the Grey <laughs> Cup. I'll tell you guys real quick because. The reason I got that clip that I posted on Twitter from that infamous game, I guess we'll call it 2007 OUA semifinal Guelph versus Laurier was because my old former teammate, Chris Decker, who was a linebacker at Guelph, asked me if I had any copies of the score games. And I was like, man, honestly, I used to have some of the DVDs, but those are gone. I had lost them for years. And then I thought, you know what? Maybe somebody at the Sportsnet archives has access to this. And sure enough, my boy Jay Saran there was like, yeah, I got 11 games from those years that you played. You want them? He's been sending them over. And guys, what stuck out most to me was the knowledge and from knowing you both now from broadcast perspective, the time and effort to know that knowledge and display it on the air was outstanding. Those games were awesome. And I feel like now as a a little bit younger broadcaster, I'll say. I try to put in as Watch much it. time and effort as these student-athletes do when I'm preparing for a game. But you guys went above and beyond. You knew so many details. It was unbelievable. I don't know how you knew details about Guelph's offense that you were talking about on air that I thought were kept firmly in-house. <laughs> well, we, we were fortunate. I mean, I, I will say that uh, Tim Tim was doing it before I got there. And so for me, he was kind of the guy that that set the tone and, and Timmy, I'm sure to this day is an absolute preparation freak. And so it was a matter of, uh, of trying to keep up with his, uh, his frantic <laughs> note taking, et cetera. But um, one of the things that was, that worked very well for us in terms of preparing for those games was the, the degree to which the OUA coaches at that time bought in to what we were doing and kind of recognized the value in, um, in having a quality broadcast out there. And, and I used to have coaches talk to me all the time about how, how great it was for them. When you think in those days in Ontario, they were getting nationally televised games, which for them from coast to coast gave them a recruiting tool that their games could be seen on TV, their schools, their teams, et cetera, were being talked about on national TV. And so they were, they were all in, which allowed us to, to do our jobs I love working with Dwayne because I would learn, like I'm, I am a frantic note taker. Like I have anxiety if I don't know enough about every guy on the field. Um, But I knew that when I went there, I would learn something from Dwayne in the broadcast that I didn't know every time. And that was like, it was kind of like unhatching the egg every game. There'd be like six or seven things that Dwayne would throw at me. I'd be like, that's so awesome that he got that piece of information. And I think one of the greatest compliments that we ever got there to be honest with you, the, the families were always the ones who gave us the heartfelt compliments. But I remember we did our first Laval game, Dwayne, and Glenn Constantine was very, kept everything close to the chest and did not give us a lot of information yep. about what they were doing. And uh, after he watched the game on TV, 
came back to us and said, hey, I watched the game. You guys know what the bleep you're talking about. Next time, it'll be a completely different thing. And it was a completely different thing. And he used it as the tool for recruiting because he knew that we were going to give it uh, everything that we could. I feel like that's a golden stamp. Yeah. Do you remember doing that a game oh, at Laval, so awesome. by the way? The season opener, Laval <laughs> yeah, in Montreal. So awesome. Uh. Insane. Like, Justin, if you've never been, like, these people were tailgating. It was, I think it was a Sunday yeah. afternoon game. They were out there at like seven o'clock on Sunday morning. <laughs> I remember tailgating. they sold was they sold beer by the six pack. So you would see guys walking <laughs> back to their seats with two six packs in their hands, like going to their seats with two six packs in their hands. It was awesome. That was when I said to the OUA, we need to start selling alcoholic games. <laughs> yes. <When I> saw, <laughs> these guys with their two six packs walking back to their uh, to their seats. I've never been to Laval, Montreal, but I've been to a number of Vanier Cups at that stadium. And those people were out there before the sun was up. They had zip lines and all that kind of stuff. But you know, from a preparation standpoint, where I really learned from Tim, and obviously Dwayne and I have forged a bond over the years, but doing games with Tim, I remember during Vanier Cup week, like you wouldn't really see him during the week. And early on, I was like, you know, does this guy like me? Does he want to hang out with me? Like, did I do something wrong? Did I say something stupid, which I probably did in my younger broadcasting days and probably still do. But what I learned afterwards was he was literally finding out small details on every little player. Because, Timmy, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I remember you repeating this multiple times saying, like, you never know who can make a play in the Vanier Cup or any other game. But especially in the Vanier Cup, you wanted to be prepared enough that if – random, you know, third string backup quarterback gets into the game because you've probably experienced this before. Yeah. You wanted to have a note on him. Like the preparation was unbelievable. And you talk about Glenn Constantine, and I feel like that's the golden stamp. When he feels like you have done your work and your research, he gives you that respect. Yeah, that, that's kind of the, it was almost like being like my, I was fear, it was anxiety. Like someone would make a play in a game and I didn't know anything about them or even worse, someone would get hurt and be laying on the turf and the family would be watching back at home. And I didn't know enough about them. So that's kind of like, that's why I ended up with, with uh, cue cards full of stuff like this. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. Well, let's talk about the Vanier cup that just happened. The university of Montreal earned its second Vanier cup in program history with a 69 win over the university of British Columbia. What were your takeaways from the Canadian University Football National Championship? Let's start with Mr. Ford. Yeah, and the the big thing to me is the, I thought it's pretty cool for football in Montreal was the first thing, right? On the heels of the the Alouettes and that terrific eight-game win streak to to end the season and and generate so much momentum for football in that province. And we know how great amateur football is there, but I thought it really kind of capped things that, that a week later and, and in a stadium in Kingston where a lot of fans from Montreal could attend that game to kind of have the party continue for, for another week and, and very fitting as well. Big picture that uh, a program that still has Danny Machocha's fingerprints on it. So uh, certainly a, a pretty good week for him, but, but for, the Montreal Caravan, their program specifically, um, well-deserved. You know, we, we just talked about the importance of what Glenn Constantin has done in Quebec and, and at Laval. And I've always said the, the Laval program under Glenn is what has raised the bar in Canadian university football. And I, I think the argument exists that it, the success at Laval is what led to the creation and kind of the blueprint for that program in Montreal and now that rivalry is so terrific that it, it's kind of like, you know, whoever whoever comes out of that rivalry, whoever comes out of that conference from year to year is a, a legitimate Vanier Cup contender. And we, we saw that. Yeah, as soon as I saw Montreal beat Laval three times in the same year, I thought, oh, doctor, like sometimes when you're when you're crossing over conferences, you're not sure how a team will play. You're not sure how an offense that put up huge numbers uh, in their conference might be able to play against defense that put up ridiculous numbers in their conference. But when I saw them beat Laval three times, I thought this is a great defense. Then they cross over against Western and you're looking at the numbers that Western put up 500 yards a game, um, you know, number one points per game in the nation. 
And for them to throw up what they threw up against Western, I, I knew it was real. And then to have it continue against UBC was just, I mean, I know, I know, Justin, there's been some talk watching you guys in the broadcast about the defense, but the numbers are just jaw dropping what they were able to accomplish defensively. Um, and, and to me, that was, it was kind of like every step of the way I had a question about what they would be able to do with that defense and every step of the way, not only did they answer the question, like they answered the question emphatically and they did it against Western and then, sorry, Dwayne, they did it against Western and then they did it against UBC. And, and for me, like that was just so, that was the most impressive part for me. Like my only tweet at the end of the game was just Montreal's defense is too good. And that was the case of Carabin's defense produced more turnovers, 22 than points allowed during the playoff run. That's insane. And our friend and colleague Donovan Bennett said on the CBC studio panel with me that Montreal's D is the best he's seen in U sports history. Now, my first take at that was, you know, Laval has their hand up because those early 2000s defenses were really good from the Rouge AR. So do you two agree with Donovan or disagree? Well, I, I'm going to... I'm going to tend to agree. And part of that just has to do with the way that that football in this country at all levels, but particularly at the university level has improved. And I know, you know, you're doing a, a comparison between different eras that that can always be tough, but, but the level of competition overall, I think is so much greater now that for Montreal to accomplish what they accomplished as Tim alluded to against the teams they've, they've accomplished that, I think speaks to, to the strength of that unit. It won't surprise you that I did some research, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but to not surrender a touchdown in the playoffs is one thing. That number about uh, getting more turnovers than allowing points. They allowed seven field goals in like, like that's offense and defense because even turning the ball over in a precarious position can make your defense uh, give up a touchdown or give up points, but they in, in a playoff, where they like where they're supposed to be facing the best team, and they did. They did. They faced a. If if you had a laid down the road that would have been the toughest to get there, that's what you would have had. You would have had Laval. You would have had Western, and then you could argue if UBC was the best team all year long in Canada West. But they got there, and they had a really good offense. And to do what they did, allowing just seven field goals in the entire postseason, to me puts them in the conversation. Now, listen, I think we all know Donovan Bennett enough to know that he is prone to hyperbole. <laughs> and and I wish that we had uh, an easier access to all of the team numbers of the past. Uh, and I did uh, scrub the cubbyhole a little bit trying to find it, the, the old crawl space to try and find some of those numbers from Laval back in the day, um, from other teams where we've seen great defenses. But I, I don't I don't know how I disagree with Donovan given the numbers. It is hard to disagree. I went back and double-checked it after I said it on air because those Laval defenses just stood out to me as being so ferocious. And I agree with Dwayne. I think it is hard to compare eras. But the Rouge or in 2004 gave up 102 points in 12 games. St. Mary's in 2001, who I'm sure want into this conversation, Less than allowed 66 games. points in 12 games. Right. Meanwhile, Montreal this season allowed 114 in 12 games in 2023. It's obviously different eras, fellas, and I wanted to have you guys on because I think you could provide a further perspective on this. But are we missing any defenses that should be in this conversation? Nothing jumps out. Yeah. No, I was just going to say it's the thing I find myself doing, and part of it is, you know, always being involved in CFL draft and looking at a lot of things from that perspective, that sometimes you think of defenses that had a lot of great players, but maybe weren't necessarily the most dominant or most productive defenses at the U sports level as, as a unit. So it's, it's hard to imagine. And again, the, the playoff run of just getting better as the season goes on and, and such a battle tested team, um, it's it really is difficult to to argue with. I can't wait for the people to tweet us to nominate the teams that they believe should be in that mix. But right now, (laughs) as I comb my brain, I'm finding it hard to find those teams that that we would have left out. And again, like 
some of it has to do with conference, right? Like if, if it's a weak year for a conference, you can put up some really big numbers. Um, and some of those programs in the, in, like you're saying, Duane, in, in Quebec, were just coming along when Laval was putting up those numbers, but you can't say the same about this year for Montreal. Like they've, they've been around, all those programs have been battling for a while. It just, it seems to me like it's hard to argue against saying that this might be the best defense we've ever seen. I was going back and forth with our boy Donovan about this over text while he was traveling to beautiful Mexico after the oh, CBC nice. panel. And I was like, you know, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just kind of trying to provide some balance here because I think too (laughs) often, guys, you know, in the sports that we cover, and Timmy, you're in a lot of them, and Dwayne and I are mainly football, there's recency bias that creeps in here. The latest thing that we've seen, we ultimately think is the best. And it's maybe hard to go back, as you alluded to, Tim, the history and the stats. But I just wanted to provide a little balance because we're seeing this right in front of our eyes. And it's amazing and I do think it's really great. I'm not trying to downplay what the Canavan did. Yeah, there's a. Um, I wish we had better archives of these things, and not to point fingers, but there's a there's a fellow by the name of Martin Timmerman who does it for U Sports Basketball, and he was like basically my encyclopedia. I would go to his site all the time, and he worked with coaches and conferences and teams to get his site updated to the point where you could go back and do these things, because I think that's really important for the growth of the game to have some sort of archive where you can go and find, so you can have these arguments and and have a little bit of a, you know, a statistical backup on it. Um, But right now it's kind of, kind of hard to find that uh, in U sports. Yeah, re- recency bias is because old guys like us can't remember. <laughs> Too many knocks <laughs> to the head. Anymore. <laughs> Dwayne doesn't really care about being added on Twitter anyway, so I don't even think he's on there anymore. <laughs> Are you off, Dwayne? I, you know, I certainly have not uh, have not tweeted since the the name X oh, okay, became good for official. You. I think the last time I tweeted, if I remember correctly, was when Johnny Manziel got traded from Hamilton to Montreal. <laughs> That's amazing. I wish I could do that. <laughs> I don't have the yeah, guts. I, uh, I got to steer clear oh of the God, cesspool, yeah. man. It's probably smart. And guys, you know me. Probably. Katie it is smart. It's Dwayne. He's smart. <laughs> yes, he's wise. You know me, guys, with Canadian quarterbacks. we got to talk about Jonathan Senecal, French Canadian quarterback, became just the second player ever to win the Heck Crichton Vanier Cup and Vanier Cup MVP in the same season in Canada. Does he have the potential to play in the CFL? I'll let the expert go first on this one. Well, well I'll say he, he certainly deserves a shot, right? And, and you guys know, like I try to follow university recruiting, college recruiting. So kind of follow some of these kids from, from the roots. Senecal, obviously a guy who has been very closely watched for a lot of years and the, the thing that stands out to me is as we talk about how the level of Canadian university football is raised and Canadian football in general, I don't think anywhere is it more apparent than at the quarterback position. And you, you look at the CFL where for the last couple of years, the biggest stories have been Nathan Rourke in 2022. And, and you could make an argument for Trey Ford turning around the Edmonton Elks season in 2023. And, you know, I mean, not to say he's the the story of the season, but a lot of discussion of Trey Ford is the most exciting player in the Canadian Football League, right? And he's he's certainly a guy who's in that conversation. And and the fact that now talk of Canadian quarterbacks in the CFL isn't isn't isolated and those discussions don't sort of come every 10, 12, 15 years, that now those discussions are are literally kind of every year. And when you look at kids playing the position in U sports in the NCAA, I think that you're you're going to see that continue. That there are always going to be guys. This is a year where, in the first edition of the the scouting bureau rankings, Curtis Rourke is the the number one prospect. Whether he should have been or not, we can we can debate. But the fact that you are legitimately talking about a quarterback leading up to to the CFL draft, that it's opportunity right? Being given an opportunity and open-mindedness in the CFL that plays a big role in whether or not guys like Jonathan Senecal get an opportunity. And, um, and I think that people like Nathan Rourke, Trey Ford, Curtis Rourke, and others 
are ensuring that the opportunity. I remember when my charts used to uh, used to be filled with the names uh, Orville Lee and Sean Millington, and what we used to say was there are Canadian tailbacks that deserve an opportunity to run the rock in the CFL. And finally that started happening. And I, I did the number for work and, and I'm, I may fail me now, but I think eight of the last 11 rushing champions have been Canadian. So we've had a long line of guys who now at the tailback position are excelling. And when I was, I'll, I'll never forget uh, when I was doing uh, tie cats play by play in the early two thousands. And Jesse Lumsden was coming back to the CFL. Darren Diedrich was also coming back to the CFL and people were like, well, I don't know if they can be tailbacks. And I, in my head, I'm just like, what are we doing here? Like, how do we have this inferiority complex about like, this is a guy at Nebraska who put up ridiculous numbers. Jesse <laughs> has like legit speed at two twenty. What are we talking about here? And lo and behold, you know, like I think Jesse really helped knock down that door. And now it's just, it's a free flow. And I think Trey Ford is in the midst of doing that too. And and to see, I'm, I'm with you, to see Curtis Rourke be the number one draft prospect on the CFL draft, whatever you think of those rankings, to just to see a quarterback there to me is a massive step. And I think Trey Ford is that trailblazer now. And I think Jonathan Seneca, listen, I, I don't know what the numbers, how they translate. I think that you have to be a dual threat running back um, to be a quarterback in the CFL successfully as a Canadian. I think that helps you um, by the time that you need to get to the level where, you know, maybe you're a Cody Fajardo or Kalaros or something like that. And, but, and I think that helps. But if you, you stack his numbers against other U sports quarterbacks, they're not great. It's just that I think that we all kind of look at the Canadian quarterback a little differently, the same way we did with Canadian tailbacks. There's so many directions I want to go here, but Timmy, just because you said it there, Senecal's season, you know, was mm-hmm. really good in terms of passing numbers, but is it inflated? And trust me, I love my Canadian quarterbacks and French Canadians one as, ones as well, but is it inflated because of how good his defense was? Like Senecal led his team in rushing in every game in the postseason. I mean, Hassan Doso, his top receiver, broke his leg and, you know, wasn't out for a bunch of the stretch run. So I can understand that. But his defense was so good. And when you're talking about, let's say, like Vanier Cup game MVP, right. there's already a defensive award for that. So, you know, it's probably going to be Senecal because he, he had the only touchdown in the game. But, you know, is it overinflated or are we hyping this up a little too much? Uh, Dwayne would argue that the entire defense, he would have been on his talk back button arguing that the whole entire defense should get the player of the game award and maybe Nikki Farinaccio, who was just like all over the field. I mean, he ends up getting the defensive MVP, yeah. but you could argue that he could have been the MVP as well. Yeah. Without a doubt, he benefited from the fact that his, um, his defense was so good, but that does not like you have to play the game in front of you. And what Jonathan Senegal did all year long was play the game in front of him and win the game in front of him. And you could tell by the way that they play called that they knew that they had the luxury of a great defense. So it kind of goes hand in hand and I don't want to discount the stats because of the defense. I also don't want to take away from the stats because of the defense, because no one's asking them to throw it 60 times with a defense like that. Yeah, I, I tend to think the, the same thing, right? We talk all the time about complementary football and the the pieces going together, as Tim talked about, about play calling and kind of what your defense allows you allows you to do, the luxury of what it allows you to do. And, you know, I I think sometimes it gets forgotten in when we look at U Sports football that while they are developing players for professional levels, the fact is primary goal is trying to win at the at the level they're at. Right. And so you'll give your guys some opportunities to do some things that'll that'll help help them take the next step. But in the grand scheme of things, you you're playing to win at, at that level. Right. And Senecal did what he had to do to win, as Tim said, right. throughout. And so it's it's going to be interesting to watch for sure as uh, as that team evolves. Over the, like over Trey the Ford in a season threw for 27 touchdowns. Um, Senecal threw for 15 this year. Right. But those are two completely different programs. 
one at Waterloo, one at Montreal, asking two completely like, you know, Trey had to carry that team in order for them to be successful. They asked him to do so much more than you would ask a Jonathan Senegal to do. And that's kind of why I made that that comparison. The numbers aren't quite there, but then why would Montreal ask him to do what Waterloo would have had to ask Trey Ford to do? And he's still really good, right? Completed almost 70% of his passes yes. during the regular season, over 2,000 yards. I think that needs to be said. Ran the ball 34 times, 394 yards. That was really his calling card was his escapability. But, you know, it's interesting when you talk about that overall conversation. Dwayne, you won a Vanier Cup in 1989 with Western University. Tim has covered Canadian University football for decades. And both you guys have kind of touched on this a little bit. But how has the quality improved, Dwayne, since you played and Tim you know, since you started covering games and really got engrossed in the sport. Yeah, the, the thing I'll say right off the top is that players arriving in university are so much more prepared, both physically and in terms of their, their football backgrounds, than, than what we were. You know, I mean, I, I arrived on the London campus in 1987, the fall, August of 1987, and, uh, you know, I mean, I was a guy who had grown up around football. I was in a, a family of Argo season ticket holders. My dad coached high school football for a number of years. Like, I mean, my brother and I played together. We're playing, you know, football with helmets on, by the way, just the two of us out there on the front lawn, knocking each other around from the time we were little kids. Our high school coach was Pete Martin, who's in the, the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. So it... I mean, we had plenty of football background. I can assure you it is absolutely nothing compared to the typical freshman arriving in university now. So I think that's where it starts. But also, as I've alluded to, I mean, the, the Laval program changed the way I think every school in Canada approaches approaches the sport of football in terms of, you know, financial resources are one thing, but just how seriously it's taken in terms of, the, the level of coaching, um, the commitment to, to off-season training and, and so on. So many things that have, have allowed these players to, A, arrive better, but, but progress so much over the course of their careers. That one of the things that I described, and I probably said it to you, Justin, during one of our, uh, our roundtable talks during the, the CFL Combine, is decade by decade. Like, so for me, first CFL combine I went to was my own draft year, 1991. And then have had the opportunity to be at the combine as a member of the media every year since 2005. And you can sort of see, especially when you look at it decade by decade, the, the level, just the physical preparation of the players, how much that improves, you know, decade by decade is it's absolutely remarkable. I mean, if, you know, we talk about the swimsuit competition at the combine, right? Where the guys are, are there in just their shorts and have their, their pictures taken. I can assure you, I, I was always in pretty good shape, but I, I don't want my picture from 1991 put up against even the the worst conditioned guy in 2024 because it's it's just night and day. It's a different I'll, I'll, I mean, I don't know if it's a, a fool seldom differ or great minds think alike, but I will say the exact same things that Dwayne just said. But add on top the improvement in technology for athletes to like i cover all sports my son plays they're every athlete uh, they plays hockey plays baseball i see these athletes there's so much better in every sport than we were at their age and the ability for i mean my school was my, my high school senator o'connor there's my brother up there um we we went in at grade nine and we started learning football if you want right now, you can go on to YouTube and pick the brains of some of the greatest players that have ever lived on what they would do in certain situations, on how you can train for certain situations. Never mind just the physicality that Dwayne's talking about, but the intellectual ability to pick the brain of actual pros at a high level in every sport has changed how good these athletes are, not only physically, but mentally, it's, it's almost too, inf too much information. And, and I think that's why we're seeing, um, you know, Canadians getting to such a high level at, at the quarterback spot, because if they want it, they can find it. They can go find, 
They don't have to go to the Peyton Manning passing academy. They don't have to go to the Manning passing academy. They they can figure it out on YouTube um, and get it from you know a very high level. It's it's all out there, and that's I think changed. I remember Benoit Glu telling us that he learned how to play quarterback by playing Madden. <laughs> right, like he figured out the plays as a kid. Oh, this yeah. is I didn't realize they were doing that much. Like now, times that by fifteen where you've seen kids playing video games where they can start to understand what's going on in the field at a higher level and then go YouTube, go all of these resources they can just get with their technology. Yeah. I had a parent at Grey Cup actually ask me, he's like, have you played Madden recently? I was like, no, I haven't played in years. He's like, if you play it now, they literally teach you step by step by step and go through it in even more detail than I'm sure they did when Gru was learning. Timmy, I'm curious for you. I want to give you this platform here because Senator O'Connor, I know, is near and dear to your heart. That football program is coming back. How has it happened, back. and why is that so important to you? Yeah, the, the I so um, it was gone for about a decade, and uh, same story as a lot of different schools around uh, Canada, where just the money dried up, the interest dried up with the money, and the worry about uh, all of the injuries that go with it, kind of catapulted on top of each other and it just went away and now that i think we have a lot more information about what you're walking into when you walk into football um i think there was it was a time to say okay let's try and bring it back and there's a bunch of guys that played there that went on to play u sports football noel caribs brett connors dan crefo all all guys that went to the high school went on to play u sports ciau cis football and wanted to give it back. And, you know, I won't even get into all of the systems that go into play. Like we don't pay teachers more. So if you leave at the bell at three o'clock and you stay two hours to coach a football team, you get the same paycheck. Like it's all out of love. And these guys missed it. And they asked me, is there any way that you can help to get it back? And I said, I can just try social media wise to get it out there. And and one of the stories that was what was passed on to me um, and I won't, I won't name any names, but there's a, a kid who got into trouble. And one of the teachers said to me, like, that's kind of the kid that we would have gotten in the football program here that we wouldn't, you know, that we, that we, you know, the, the kid that wants to blow off some steam, the kid that wants to stay out of trouble. And we no longer have that outlet for him. And that was what was clicked in my mind to try and get it back. Cause I know for a fact that there were people that I knew that were saved by football. And for me personally, um, my story is that I love football. I was into it. Injuries and athletic ability ended my career. And I didn't get through university because I didn't have the structure of football to go with it. And I just, I think it's so hugely important for the growth of kids to have some sort of physical activity and uh, particularly young men to have an outlet for the frustrations that can come along with being a young man in this society. And Dwayne mentioned Pete Martin earlier, and I just want to shout out, you know, Timmy, when you're talking about that kind of stuff, it makes me think of my high school, John F. Ross in Guelph. Michael Falds and I actually attended the same high school, but not at the same time. But we shared a head coach there in Rick Bilm, who was very passionate about the program. But the teacher who spearheaded it was Jeff Yonkis. He played at the University of Guelph, won a Cup there in 1984, the only one in program history. And his passion was something that you know, I've rarely seen match just for life or for anything, but to his credit, he saw this ability in me and my brother, Adam, who played with me at Guelph and, you know, probably would have played in the CFL if he didn't love farming as much as he does. But Jeff passed that down to us and he really showed us the way, you know, how we should be working out and how we should approach football. So I don't think we would have ever even gotten to university and had that experience for how it's helped us in our lives without a guy like Jeff Yonkis, who was willing to, as you said, Timmy, after that bell hit, stay there, give up family time with his own family and his wife to put that into so many student athletes that were at his high school. So it's great to hear that your high school program is back. Dwayne, I'm curious if you have anybody in your life, I don't know if it was Pete or somebody else in high school that really pushed you along the way that's similar to what Timmy's talking about with Senator O'Connor and me with John Frost. Yeah, I mean, so many coaches along the way, right? And and I've come to appreciate all of them. For me, it's it, it, it's a huge thing to me. And like to hear Tim talk about bringing the program back at Senator O'Connor, 
I've been part of bringing the program back at my alma mater, Port Credit Secondary School, mm-hmm. twice. Actually, once when when I went back there to teach, which is what I was doing when when Tim and I were working together at the score. And um, and again, when my son Quincy was was in grade nine and I wanted he and his friends to have the same opportunity that I had to play high school football and to experience all the things that that Tim talked about, all of the positives. Um, the program has kind of died off again now and there's there's a push to bring it back. And I, I certainly hope that that happens. But, um, you know, a high school. Yeah, obviously, Pete Martin was was a huge one for me. I. I have often joked that kind of everything I have done in my life has followed in the footsteps of, of Pete Martin from, you know, um, playing at Western, playing in the CFL, moving to the broadcast booth, teaching at Port Credit Secondary School that, uh, you know, I kind of say if it was good enough for Pete, it was good enough for me. So he's probably that number one guy on that list. And obviously, you know, moving on to university and, and having the chance to play for Larry Haler is a massive one as well, right? A coach impacting not just your football career, but, but your life. And, you know, taking it a step further, my dad was always a guy who, who coached high school sports as a principal, even he was the head coach of the high school football team when he was the school's <laughs> principal, which is somewhat yeah. unheard yeah, of so amazing. in this, this day and age. And I still, every now and then will, will hear stories from former students, former players of his about about his impact. And that's something that has always resonated with me and something that, uh, you know, lots of things about my dad, I try to emulate, but that's, that's high on the list. Can I give one more, like, I really believe that we should pay high school teachers who coach whatever. I don't care if it's math club. I don't care if you put in extra time, Mm -hmm. you should be paid more. We're so quick to privatize and give our money to all of these private sports right now. And yet you look at the school systems and the people who reached out to me to help this program with no affiliation whatsoever to the school, just because they know that their school sports help them achieve what they like. Everything that I've learned, I learned from sports like how to get knocked down and get back up, the work ethic involved, like everything that I do every day goes back to my experience with my family, with my dad, with my brothers and at Senator O'Connor and and the amount of people who just out of the goodness of their heart, understanding how teachers and coaches impacted their lives, just reached out with money. Like it was mind blowing. And, and honestly, like I was, uh, I didn't take a lot of time to kind of, um, you know, think about what these people were doing, but like hats off. Like, it's so amazing that people just reached out and said, you know what, that sounds like something that I believe in and I, and I should do it. And I, I firmly believe that every one of those coaches should get money to, to coach. And I know that it's opening a whole can of worms, but we need to start opening cans of worms. Yeah. And I, I would love to see that happen as well for the the people who are willing to go, above and beyond, but even, even in the current structure where coaches aren't being financially rewarded, one of the things I can tell you as, Mm -hmm. as a former teacher, as well as, as a guy who coached as a teacher, for some of those teachers who maybe haven't been involved in, in extracurriculars. And as you said, it's not just about athletics, right? Kids have lots of other, other passions that can, can really be fostered in the, within the school system. But the rewards that you get, even just in terms of how differently your okay. students look at you, how, you know, they, they appreciate you giving your time and how it can change your relationships with them and their own relationships with schools. Like I, I often think back to teaching a grade nine French class and I had a young lady in my class who was, was a bit of a handful <laughs> at times and we butted heads occasionally. And, uh, you know, I remember looking at her records one day and I saw a note saying that this student is going to be away for a couple of days because she's attending a recruiting showcase, hockey recruiting showcase at the University of Wisconsin. Well, guess who happened to be the girls high school hockey coach? It was me. I didn't know this was early in the school year. I didn't know at the time she was a hockey player. So I said to her one day in class, hey, are you going to come out for the hockey team? I'm coaching. And the smile on her face from, from ear to ear, right. 
that there was a school hockey team and that she was going to be able to do that. And just the way that our relationship changed from there, that she was my best buddy the rest of the year and, you know, did great, had a fantastic hockey career as well. But, um, but just in terms of the, the buy into school and so on, what that does for a kid, but also what it does for a teacher is, is huge when you, take the time to invest in the students outside of the ABCs and one, two, threes of school is um, you get paid back in the classroom. Believe me. You guys are hitting me in the feels. And I think one thing we can all agree on here is the impact that sports has made on our life and where we all are now. I think we probably would like to see at least the OUA in terms of football be back on TV in some former fashion. I do games out in the Canada West. Bamboo is a production company. They do a great job. It's pretty much driven by Saskatel with the Rams and the Huskies there, but there's at least one game of the week, if not a doubleheader. The RSEQ, we all know, has a deal with TVA Sports out east. They do their thing out there. It's pretty solid. But in the OUA, the Yates Cup, sad to say, fellas, hasn't even been on television. Proper TV the last couple of years. Do you guys envision a way to get back there. I have some ideas that I want to kind of get working on in the background, but can you guys see this happening? I find it hard to imagine it not happening, quite frankly, like to, to think that, as we said, I mean, we were, we were doing it 20 plus years ago. Right. And so as to the way so many things have advanced and the accessibility to so many things, like you can't tell me that that university rush on the score wasn't the impetus for some of the other conferences to make sure that their games were televised and to think that the OUA is now the one that isn't um, seems a little backwards. So we've, we've got some catching up to do, as I say, I I'm not sure exactly, exactly how it happens, but uh, you know, I I'm up for a reunion with Mr. McCall. <laughs> oh, I, I, I would love, I would love to get it back on. I do think that it's imperative though. Like I, I don't know where it lost, um, steam or where schools stopped thinking that it was important enough to invest in. I don't know if it was just the money or, or the economics of the situation. Um, but I do think that it's, it's remarkably important. And I think that you, you have to worry in this technology age, you know, um, I'm around a lot of uh, my kids' friends and they're losing touch with those things, those touch points, because they don't see it. And I think the CFL is in a similar spot. And I think we have to really work hard on making sure that there are, are, are broadcast platforms that make it look as good as it possibly can look if you want it to resonate with a younger generation. And that's just, that's just the, the cold, hard reality of these days. It, it doesn't resonate because they don't see it at the same level as wherever you want to point to as the level. And you see that in soccer, you see that in baseball, you see that in football, every other sport, you, you just, you know, that if you see it on your timeline, whether you're on Twitter or X or not, or Instagram, those are the places that need to be served. And I think, you know, I'm going to mispronounce the, the name of the, um, of the company, the persevere. Is that how we say it, Justin? Yep. Yep. Persevere. Yeah. They're doing more for U sports than U sports is doing for U sports. And I like, I know that there are a lot of educators. There are a lot of people behind the scenes that, that care really, really deeply. And what I just said might even insult them by saying it, but they're doing so much by touching the points where if you're not relevant, I'll, I'll never forget. There is a, there is an argument in hip hop about whether or not, the lyrics of this or who's setting the tone and who's and Busta Rhymes said, if you're not relevant, it doesn't matter. Like if you can't touch somebody, if you can't find them, if you can't reach them, then what you say doesn't matter. And that's, that's my biggest worry when it comes to you sports uh, all across the board and the CFL to a, to a lesser extent, but you have to find touch points with the younger generation and those touch points are changing. And I'll be kind of careful with my words here, but I thought for years, guys, and I'm curious your take on this, that it's the schools that could do more on campus 
you know, get students out, not just to football games, but games in general, right? Homecoming is sort of this built-in thing, especially at the University of Guelph that everybody talks about and they market it. But I feel like the schools need to do a better job of getting in front of the students. And part of that is the student experience, like make them feel welcome at these sporting events. And obviously we're focusing on football right now, but I feel like that's something that the schools need to do a better job of creating, Tim, you called it, these touch points. And that would make it hit home more. And I know that the University of Guelph has a special place in my heart, but I don't necessarily think that's the case for every student or even student athlete that went there. And we look at the United States and I don't want to compare U sports or CIS or CIAU to the NCAA, but people are so passionate in the United States about where they went to school, whether they played sports or not, or follow sports or not. A lot of that I think has to do with sports, but how do you guys think that in Canada, we can get to that level where we have that passion that I know you guys have, especially Dwayne wearing his Western purple as much as he can and mentioning it all the time on TSN. How can we get to that point in Canada? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's, it's a great question. And um, yeah, getting the students to have that level of pride in their athletic programs. I'm, I'm a believer in, I mean, when, when I was teaching high school, I, I actually wish I had taught longer than I did because of just to be able to implement certain ideas I've had. But one of the things that I have always kind of believed is that within a community, there's nothing that brings a community together more, in my opinion, than athletic success. It's, it's a weird thing, maybe because sometimes we're a little spoiled in this country that we're, we're typically not fighting wars at home or whatever it is that this is kind of where our battles are fought, so to speak. And, you know, I certainly don't want to make any sort of comparison to the military in that way, in terms of level, but just the, the winning battles and drawing pride from it that comes from the athletic field. And so to, to give an example is, you know, I don't think there's any time that Canada is any more united than when Canada is involved in international athletic competition, right? When it's during the Olympics or even Canada playing in the the World Cup in soccer, be it men's or women's. Um, you know, at TSN, one of the, the biggest things is world juniors in hockey, right? And everybody kind of getting behind Canada and everybody pulling together for this. And I think that the same thing so often exists in schools, that if you if you make it an important thing in the school, you strengthen the school community. And this was always kind of one of my goals in high school. I talked about coaching high school football and coaching girls hockey in high school. Part of the reason that those were programs that I got behind at at Port Credit at the time that I was teaching there is because those were two sports programs that didn't exist when I arrived there. It was an opportunity to get more kids involved right? So you don't need me to coach a team that you already have. I want to coach a team that's going to bring in these 50 kids who are walking out the door at three o'clock with nothing to do. And so I, I just think that investing in as, you know, as, t- as you said, Justin, and really selling the importance, selling the experience of getting behind your athletic teams, I, I just think has great value for your community as a whole, whatever your community may be, whether you're talking about a school community, a, you know, a, a local neighborhood, you know, a province or a country, there's, there's something yeah, to it's it. It's hard ass work. Like that's just all it is, is someone's got to, I, I know there might be some investment economically and everyone's scared of that, but it, you just got to put the work in and the, the, to echo Dwayne's sentiments, like when the O'Connor program returned this year, and I still live in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And my wife has no allegiance to the school whatsoever. Other than game one, she could hear the roars from down the street. And we went and the entire neighborhood was there. And now I've seen that bleed over into their basketball programs. And the kids understood, hey, this is kind of fun to one, play in front of the crowd and two, be a part of the crowd cheering on your team. And I think at the university level, it's just like the Capitol Hoops classic established that out of nowhere in Ottawa with basketball. They took something that a bunch of people really believed 
Dave Smart and the Carlton program took it to a level. Ottawa went along with them, competed at that level, and they were putting, you know, 12,000 people into watching basketball games. And that's just two programs working really hard to establish it. And if they had more help along the way, I think you could see that in a lot more places around Canada. But there is there is very rarely the ability to work together the way they did in Ottawa. But I think that's an, an amazing example of how it can work because you've seen it, you know, at different universities at different times catch fire like that. And then how do you sustain it? And the way you sustain it is to continue working hard at it. And, you know, like, I think that, you know, there were people that got tired of putting that much work in and having others just kind of sit around and watch. And I think that's where it needs to get to is a bunch of people um, working really hard to try and, you know, I, I did it. I did it with U Sports. I would try at every level to say, hey, here's an idea. What about a college game day? Can we do something along those lines? Can we do a tailgate and put the broadcast in front of the tailgate? So maybe people want to be on TV. Can you sell the, like all of those things? And it was always like lukewarm reception, depending on where you were and you couldn't get uniform. And that's where I think, you know, U sports really struggles specifically is to get some sort of uniform um, example of where you can get your money back because as Dwayne mentioned, you can get the the benefits for the kids and for the schools if you do it right. I think there could be a benefit for U sports if somehow it was back on the same weekend with Grey Cup. So you know where my answer is on this. I'm curious what you guys feel. Can this actually happen? Because we've seen it in the past. And it worked very, very well, especially in 2011, that epic game. Dwayne, I believe you were part of that broadcast on TSN. And then even in 2012, there was, I think, 30-plus thousand people at Rogers Center or Skydome, whatever it was called at the time. Mm -hmm. Can we get back to this? Like, is this a possibility? Does the CFL need to do more to promote youth sports football? I'll put it this way. The CFL has absolutely nothing to lose and only to gain from from promoting youth sports, youth sports football, right? And I part of the reason I talk a lot during CFL broadcasts about where players came from, whether it's the universities they came from. And, you know, I mean, obviously, especially if they went to Western because that makes them <laughs> much more special. But, but no, quite honestly, wherever guys have played their university football, Canadian kids, people should know where they went to university, what their hometowns are, what high schools they went to. I love talking about those things because these are, you know, I think it makes them relatable or as, as Tim said, relevant to the fans. And I think that there is, there is so much in that. Right. And, and so for the CFL to, to link itself a little bit more with where so many of its players are coming from to start promoting those, future CFL stars before they become CFL stars. I think there's, there's massive value in that. We had the, the good fortune. We talked about that two, 2007 game that Tim and I called at, uh, at Rogers Center in Toronto. I think that one was more, I don't know how intentional it was that that one was linked with Grey Cup, but, but that was one yeah. of the first times that we had it. And then 2011, 2012, it was certainly a little bit more by design. But what you get is in addition to the the passionate Canadian university fans who are going to travel to attend Grey Cup is you also get people who are passionate fans of Canadian football who might not necessarily know a lot about U sports, but they're in town and they have a ticket, you know, tickets are reasonably priced, whatever. It's a great opportunity to, to see more great football. And so people get involved. But in addition to that, your sort of mainstream Canadian football media is in the place where the Vanier Cup is happening and they have no excuse to ignore it. And I think that there's there's something to be said. I'll be even stronger. It absolutely positively for the health of Canadian football has to be linked with the Grey Cup. And the CFL needs to do a much better job of finding those links. I don't know, and you guys have watched this for a long time. Tell me if you if I'm wrong. Was there a more hyped CFL prospect than Jesse Lumsden? Ever. Maybe Johnny Manziel? Right? Like yeah, a guy, reason, but I agree. Yeah. For a completely different reason. But like, so 
Jesse Lumsden achieved that level of stardom because there was a hockey strike and because he was on TV at a CIS school and people wanted to see if he could compete at this level. And the reason I say that is the CFL could help bring that kind of hype to a Jonathan Seneca, to a Nicky Farinaccio, to all, when you even look at the draft rankings now, it used to be littered with a lot more CIS players, a lot more U sports players. And I hate the fact that I have to say that three different ways, CIAU players, but (laughs) to establish the hype, for the player entering the league should be something that the CFL definitely invests in. And one way that you can do that each and every year is by having the Vanier cup week coincide with the gray cup week. Listen, I Googled after the Vanier cup, the story that popped up on all of our websites, TSN Sportsnet, all of the websites that I found was the CP story. And that's because they didn't send anybody to that game. If it was coupled with the Grey Cup, someone would be there. We've seen it work a bunch of different times. And the only answer is that the CFL doesn't see the value in having that U Sports Championship in the same week. And I'm here to tell you that they would absolutely see the value if they ran it year after year. And you would see it in the hype of the U Sports players coming out and entering their draft which Dwayne does, and then entering their league like Jesse Lumsden did because you saw things that they did at the university level that would allow you to follow that story. I'm just going to cut that clip and personally send it to Randy Ambrosi because I think he needs to get this message loud and clear. Good. Timmy's all (laughs) over this. I love it. I think the CFL needs to understand this, that this is part of what the NCAA and the NFL do so well. The NCAA not essentially hands them, but kind of gives the NFL ready-made stars like Johnny Menzel and guys in the past and the Heisman winners and the stars that are coming out to the NFL. I'm not saying that U sports is at that level right now, but if the CFL works with them, they can get to that level where everyone is hyped to see a Jesse Lumsden and whether or not he can do what he did at McMaster in the CFL for whatever team picks him in the draft like that if we got five guys that would be ahead of what we got right now right like if we had Mm -hmm. five guys in the last 10 years where you're like oh i really want to see that player play at the cfl that's ahead of where we're at right now so very true and i mean that should have been happening with trey ford it's amazing to me and it's you know going off on a little bit of a tangent right but i'm a guy who follows canadian university football more than anyone else i mean i i follow recruiting of kids coming out of high school leading up to going to universities whether they're going north or south of the border and it it sometimes amazes me that people who are so-called experts maybe in the world of of canadian football are surprised about trey ford (laughs) right that this guy has suddenly appeared to them in the last two years that that's when he became relevant Trey Ford became relevant in his first year at Waterloo, right? Like if you're, if you're really paying attention to Canadian football and people should have been tracking him over the course of his, his four year career at Waterloo, that it wasn't just, you know, in the whatever couple of months leading up to the CFL draft that they start going, Oh, quarterback, this Trey Ford, he he sounds interesting. There should have been buzz about Trey Ford and his pro potential from from his first year at Waterloo. And, you know, I mean, this is when I kind of take my notes all the time at the end of the year of things I would like to see done differently. Yeah. Like kind of getting on the train with some of these players earlier in their careers is something that I am 100% all about. However we, however we go about doing it. And, um, you know, I know our guys did for a time on the panel this year, U sports highlights, you know, plays right. of the week and, and things like that. It needs to become, in my opinion, a, a bigger part of, of CFL broadcasts as well is just is drawing that link between, between CFL and U sports and just Canadian players in general playing at, at amateur levels of football, whether it's U sports, whether it's CJFL, whether it's NCAA, whether it's high school, right? There is so much information out there now you know, to anybody who isn't on CanadaFootballChat.com, get on it. And, you know, I mean, you'll know who the best kids are 
coming out of high school, you know what the best high school teams are and, you know, we'll make sure we, we do a job talking I'll, about them. I'll just we add one more thing to this. And, and I, I say this because I, I care deeply. It's not, I'm not trying to rip the CFL. I'm not trying to rip U sports. It's because I care deeply and I'm passionate about it because I care deeply. And Dwayne's right. Like Dwayne has been doing this for decades, literally decades following this stuff and, and trying to get it to the level. The reason why the CFL draft is even on TV is partly because Dwayne Ford has put in the work that he put in this. All of this comes from a place of care of love for the game and trying to foster it to a new level. This is not let's, rear back or for at least on my behalf i know Dwayne cares deeply and, and and is always well articulate but from from my behalf it comes because i care and i want to see it succeed at the level that it can and, and i like it's earnest in my uh, in my love for the game to say we got to do better and we can do better agreed fellas and yeah we're, we're at a point now and i i look at this so often with um you know obviously the, covering the Canadian football league is, is my job. And so, you know, dealing with that on a, a daily basis, but you know, my passion is football in Canada, Canadian here, here. football players. And it's, you look now at the positions being played, the roles being played by Canadian players. Tim talked earlier about the, the string of Canadian running backs leading the league in rushing. We talked earlier about the impact of Canadian quarterbacks in the league in recent years. You know, one of the things going along with that, and I, I don't want to ignore the defensive guys here <laughs> yeah. as we, yeah. you know, the impact yeah. of, of so many of those guys. But one of the things that that just fascinates me about the evolution of the game in general, like you talk about those two positions as, as somewhat marquee positions, but you look at Canadian receivers, like, you know, Justin, you're, I know, a big draft guy as well. And we have so many conversations all the time in the lead up to the draft. Like you look at from 2019 on at the, the string of Canadian receivers who have come into the league, like the, the level of skill among Canadian kids. And then over, let's talk about the defensive side of the ball positions where you didn't see Canadians playing a generation ago. Canadians are now among the best players at those positions. You know, Matthew Betts, of course, is, is kind of the poster boy leading the Canadian football league in stats in sacks coming out of a, a Canadian university program, right? Like there is, there is so much to talk about. There's so much meat left on the bone in terms of things we can talk about in the world of Canadian football to promote this game at all levels that ultimately benefit the CFL. Yeah. I'm with Tim a hundred percent. Like we're, you know, we're past the days of, sketchy ownership and worrying about teams folding in the CFL and so on that we have to be delicate about how we talk about it because because of what might happen to the league like for guys who are passionate about it and know the league well the criticism absolutely is coming from knowing we have a great league that could be even greater and we want to see it not just not just aim like we're no longer just aiming to survive right we're we're aiming to thrive and that should be the goal to excel in everything that we do with and and about the league and you know a lot of that i think has to do with creating that tie that that relevance for canadian fans of you know kind of knowing exactly who these young canadian players you just are. have to look at the gray cup guys tyson philpott catches the game-winning touchdown mark antoine de Croix is arguably yeah. the biggest reason the alouettes were even in the gray cup and yes, I know they were in the NCAA, but Brady Oliveira starting at running back for the Blue Bombers, obviously what he did with 2,000 yards. You got Tyrell Richards starting at linebacker. Like, skilled positions Canadians developed in this country. Philpot with the game winner on the line, talking about he was built for this. But people think just because he was developed in Canada as a football player means he can't live up to this moment, similar to like an Austin Mack who went to Ohio State and played under Urban Meyer. Well, Yes, Mac had a great game and maybe had a case for MVP, but Phil Potts, the guy making that play at the end of the game, the moment was not too big for him. It didn't matter if he was Canadian, American, global, an alien, what have you. <laughs> yeah, and Dwayne's right. Like the, the build from the high school to the university, it's out there. The blueprint's out there. It's south of the border. It doesn't mean that we have to do it at that level where there's got to be 100,000 people uh, at, at Michigan, Ohio State, the same way there would be at Western Loria, it's not going to happen. But at one tenth the level, our population wants like 
I, I, I firmly believe that you're right, Dwayne. It, it's got to be high school. Everyone following who's, you know, who's the number one kid out of the country. Where's he? Doesn't matter if he's going to Western or if he's going to Duke. I'm okay. I'm okay with all that. And I think that that's kind of the way you build it. And the template is south of the border. It's just whether or not we have the people that will invest in that template. Put in the hard ass work that you talked about, but fellas, <laughs> I know you got busy schedules. You guys are awesome for coming on sharing your knowledge and passion for the sport. Is there anything else before we go that either of you want to hit on before we call it a day? I think we've given ourselves a, a new project to work on. Uh oh. I love the love in the rooms. Yeah. I, yeah. We're not in the same room. We're in different rooms, yeah. but I love the love in the rooms. Like the the love of the game, the love and I think we hit on every level on on high school. And I hope that people are why that are watching this and listening to this understand that there is a level of love of the game and it and it all comes from the right place. Um and I think that uh I think that if we just had more people doing this more often, the game would be in an even better place. It's in a good place. It is in a good place. We're talking about levels being, uh, it's, it's in a good place. It'd be in an even better place for, for a lot of our kids to play our game in our country. Well said. And thank you to both of you, Mr. McAuliffe and Mr. Ford, your giants, whether or not you want to admit it in the Canadian sports media industry. Thank you so much for joining me on this special edition of the Three Donation Podcast. Anytime. Pleasure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.